Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you. If this is your first uh, time, my name is Dave Campbell. I get to serve as a lead pastor here, and uh, it is February, and February is sometimes a bit of an awkward month. We sort of get through December. January is usually not super kind. Uh, February sometimes is the space where we get crazy snowstorms, and we can kind of like start to think of spring a little bit, and then we get blasted and we get reminded, no, 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 no thinking of spring. Um, But February is also an opportunity for us uh, to celebrate um, Black History Month. And so Kind of, you're going to see this all over our world. Uh, there's, you're going to turn on the TV, you're going to uh, pull up Facebook, Google, and everyone is going to be giving attention uh, to the people of color um, in our world who have made a significant contribution. And I have to tell you, in February, um, as I kind of hear that going on uh, around the world, they always think of this woman uh, growing up in our church Bethel Baptist Church in Missoula, Montana, there was this woman named Gloria Hewitt. And Gloria Hewitt was the third African-American woman in our country to get a PhD in mathematics. She also made really good grits. I was a kid, so I really wasn't into the grits, but my parents talked about how great it was. And we got to go over to her house. What I loved about her house is her house was right across the street from this restaurant called Good Times. And Good Times is like a burger shop that had a piano that played by itself, know what I'm talking about. So that, those were just like some really fond uh, memories. But Gloria has always been someone significant in my life as someone who did this really hard but amazing thing. And she's in her 80s now. And when Michaela and I got married, she gave us a bunch of um, cereal bowls. And so, um, you know, in some ways, she's sort of, her memory is in our, our cupboard. And I just think of her a lot. And I think of what she had to go through and what she experienced in her life. I'm actually an Atlanta Braves fan today because she was an Atlanta Braves fan. And so uh, that is just, that's a legacy that she has uh, just in, in my life. So I, what I want to do during February, though, is we have those people who have made a significant contribution um, in our world, but we also have that in the context of the church, too. And you might not realize that, but we want to give some time during the month of February to kind of join the world in shining a light on people of color who have made a significant uh, contribution. And so one of those people which we're going to talk about today is this guy, Augustine, if it can work. There it is. So St. Augustine of Hippo, uh, he's this guy that lived a really, really, really long time ago. And you're like, Hippo, what in the world? I didn't learn that in geography. Well, of course you didn't, uh, because it's right here um, in Algeria, North Africa. And he's famous for a couple works. Uh, One work was the Confessions, and another work was called the City of God. So you can sort of guess what Confessions is about right? Like, I don't have to, like, spell that all out for you. Confessions is this work where he's reflecting on his heart, and he writes in part, there's a little quote right here, but my sin was this, that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in him, but in myself and his other creatures, and the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. And then A City of God is a a work, uh, you could read it, it's really long, it's like one of those books is probably 25 cups of coffee, just so you can kind of measure, you know, how long it is in coffee. 
Um, but it's a book where he really talks about like what is the, the hope that the church has and what is the place that the church can have um, in this city, in this world. It's super, super great. I have a copy if anybody wants one, I can get that um, to you. But what I love is kind of this idea uh, this morning that Christianity uh, was birthed in Israel but was nursed in the cradle of Africa. And you might not realize that. Uh, it's often that the United States of America gets kind of talked about as, well, we're a Christian nation. It sort of just like started here. And I'm always like, no, didn't start here. It was started in Israel, but really it matured. It grew up. Uh, it was, the cradle was North Africa. So it's just a really beautiful thing, actually, that the God that we worship and serve is the God of the nations. That's a really beautiful thing. I don't think we should step back from that. I think we should announce that with as loud of a voice as we have, that the God we serve is the God of the nations. And so it's awesome during this month of February to talk about some of these people. I've got a ton more I'm going to talk about in future weeks. So I appreciate just the opportunity just to, to share about that today. And, and I'm going to invite the kids up and we're going to pray for them as they head uh, to Invitation Kids. My enemies sing a little louder, louder than my unbelief. Sing a little louder. My weapon is a melody. Sing a little louder. Heaven comes to fight for me. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're gonna hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder. You're going to hear my praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the King is alive. Raise a hallelujah. Raise a hallelujah. Praise the hallelujah. Praise the hallelujah. Man, you be seated. So I don't know if there's anybody uh, in the house that has like worked in a restaurant. Anybody worked in a restaurant, like been like a server before? Something that I wonder about is, you know, you kind of have the moment where, you know, the server comes to your table and they talk to you about the restaurant and the food and welcome you and, and all of that. I sometimes wonder, like, they're so nice right in front of you. I sometimes wonder, like, what goes on in the back. <laughs> I wonder if they're like, oh my gosh, table seven, I just can't deal with it. I'm guessing that probably happens. You know, I want you to think about, you know, the moment you come to a, a restaurant, maybe it's a new restaurant and you... You get this menu, right? This is a menu from Jackie's, uh, Guatemalan restaurant um, here in town. It's not very good. Don't worry about it. No, I'm just kidding. It's awesome. It's one of my favorites. 
so, so much of my favorites that I ask, I'm like, hey, uh, could I like take one of these menus? I'll bring it back, I'm, I promise. I'm a pastor in town, I'm, I'm going through this whole thing. And he's like, uh, yeah, sure, it's just a really awkward moment. Um, but I will, I'm good for it, I said. So, but you know, like you're kind of looking through and you sort of know what you want to eat. And server comes back and, you know, you've been given the water already. So the server just kind of looks at you and, like, hey, what can I get for you? And you tell them what you want, but you have some modifications. Like, for me, a common modification you will find in the life of Dave Campbell is, like, I'm not really on, like, the onion train, right? I know maybe some of you are. You like onions. You enjoy them. I'm just like, yeah, I could do without that. I want this meal, I like this food, but hey, could you bring it without? And that, that's what makes me think about the conversation that goes on like in the kitchen. You know, like, why can't this 36-year-old man just eat onions? Like, why are we doing, what is he, 10? You know, kind of like this whole, this whole thing. And I just sort of wonder if you're like that. Like, I wonder, like, when you go to a restaurant, maybe for the, a first, the first time, and you look through the menu and like, yeah, there's something that you want to eat, but you have some modifications. You want to customize it. And I just wonder, like, what happens when we want to customize the way of Jesus? Like, what happens to us? What happens to the people around us? Like, what happens to our world? When, like, yeah, we're, we're good with it. We would like to be a part of the kingdom of God. We want to live the Jesus way. But we sort of have some ideas of how that might look different. I'm so glad you asked what happens when you want to make customizations to the way of God because we see some of that in the book of First Kings. And we've talked about some kings in the Old Testament in this series. We've talked about David. We've talked about Saul, his predecessor, and now we're to Solomon. And Solomon is the son of David, one of the many sons of David. We've already had the moment when one of David's sons, Adonijah, he wants to grab the kingdom away from his dad, and his dad shuts him down, and actually, no, you're not getting this kingdom, Adonijah. Actually, Solomon is getting it. And then we find this description of Solomon in the book of 1 Kings chapter 3. If you have your Bible, it's also going to be up on the screen. The heading in my Bible says, Solomon asks for wisdom. But we're not going to get to that today. We're not going to get to that heading because before he asks for wisdom, we see something else happen. So here's what we see. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you're like, uh, what? Solomon, king of Israel, he makes an alliance with the king of Egypt. Like, there's a history with Egypt. And it's not good. It's not enjoyable. It was not pleasant. It was not fun. And now Solomon's making an alliance with the king of Egypt. But we kind of understand why. Because he marries his daughter. And sort of the idea when there's a marriage is that now these kind of two families come together. I get to do a lot of weddings. I'm involved in 11 weddings um, this year. And there's always the 
what I love is that kind of the rehearsal dinner. There's these two families, and we're not really sure, like, what to do. We've, like, gotten to know each other a little bit, but now there's, like, a closeness. There's a partnership. There's a coming together, and the bride and groom, they're trying so hard to, like, make connections as much as they can, and it's just a little bit messy. And here we find Israel and Egypt are coming together in an alliance. married his daughter and brought her to the city of David, that's Jerusalem, until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not been built for the name of the Lord. Verse 3, Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. I sort of love how this, that's just sort of slid in there. Like he's walking according to the way of God, the statutes of his father David, except no onions. Except he's sacrificing on the high places. So we see Solomon first as a husband and as a builder. He forms this alliance with, with Egypt by, by marrying the daughter of Pharaoh. And this does a couple of things. Like, it, it secures peace in the nation of Israel. Like, Egypt is like right next door. It's our next door neighbor. And they spent generation after generation after generation in slavery to the Egyptian people. But now through a marriage, there's peace. But it also shows us something else has happened. Well, what is that thing? The thing that has happened is now Egypt does not look at Israel like a people they could just conquer and make slaves. Because you don't, why would you make an alliance with someone who's not able to bring something to the table for you? And so now Israel is not seen as this group of people that can be taken advantage of. Like they've got a, a robust kingdom, a kingdom that is not characterized by being lowly and by being weak, but by being strong. They've got a status equal to Egypt. And so the daughter of Pharaoh is going to cross the border, and she's going to come into the city of David, into Jerusalem, into Israel. And we know that this is not the only current wife of Solomon, and we know that it's not going to be the last wife of Solomon. We know that there's like 700 wives that he has, and if that weren't enough, he also is going to have like 300 partners. Like there's a, there's a lot going on that we could unpack in the life of Solomon. And a lot of times in the ancient world, these marriages happened because there were political there's a political backdrop to it. It's not that they met somebody online and they fell in love and turns out they have a lot in common. No, it's more political. But we find in 1 Kings 11, there's all these wives of Solomon and, and they're accused of, of leading Solomon away from God. Of, of helping turn his heart away from God to the, to the gods of Egypt. And so all these other places where all these women come from. It's interesting, as I look this week, the daughter of Pharaoh isn't named in that list. 
So it makes me think that the writers of the scriptures see her in a little bit of a different light. And I think whenever we talk about this, whenever we talk about these wives of Solomon who came from all these other places and although they turned Solomon's heart away from God into all of these foreign gods. And my question with that always when I hear that or I, I read I read it this week in a commentary, I was like, yeah, you know what though? Like what's the point where they become Solomon's gods? Like not the gods of his wives. That's sort of how it's talked about. But like at what point in his life, at what point in our lives, is it not that somebody led us away? Is it not that somebody turned our heart toward another place or to devalue something else or to profess worship for another name under heaven? Like what's the point when it's actually our God? What's the point where we, we've actually turned our hearts away? And I think really we know that that's happened when you profess trust in that God, in that other thing. And how do you profess trust in that other God and that other thing? By giving them a place. So when we think about like our own lives as we've walked into this room today, like what are those things that we've given a place? And we, we can't blame anybody else we can't blame the 700 wives and the 300 partners as maybe we would like to do. Like, what's the point where it's, it's us? Like, there are gods. And Solomon trusts them, and Solomon goes so far as to, as to build an altar, a place of worship for all of these foreign gods. And yeah, he does build a palace, takes him 13 years, and... If you're a wife in the room, you're like, yeah, takes a while sometimes to finally like, get that thing done in the backyard. Builds a temple. That only takes seven years, though. They got that done in a hurry. And then he builds a wall around Jerusalem. Solomon is a builder, so he's a husband and he's a builder. But then we see in verse 3 that he's also a worship leader. And so he, while he built a palace, while he built a temple, while he built a wall, he also builds all of these high places. Like these would be kind of like open air locations where worship would happen. And not worship unto the God of Israel. Not the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Not the God of his father. But all of these foreign false gods. And I think if, if Solomon can get to that place, I think that's possible that we could get to that place too. And so verse 3 says that he showed his love for the Lord. That's a weird thing to say in the Old Testament. We don't hear a lot of people described by their love for God. That's a much more of a New Testament idea. In the Old Testament, well, what do we hear then, Dave? We hear a lot about faithfulness. And we hear a lot about obedience. Like he, he or she did the right thing. They were upright in heart. Is something we hear in the Old Testament. But we don't hear a lot about love. So I just thought it was interesting. And I circled that this week in one of the 
books that I was reading as something that I wanted to notice. He showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father, David, except uh, that he worshiped on the high places. And so I just wonder for us, just for a minute, if we could just like pull back and if we could just wonder about like the exceptions to the way of God that are present in our lives. Like what are the ways in which we want to customize the way of God and what we have been called to? My guess is we're tempted to customize when it's not going very well. I wonder if we have a tendency to customize when we experience pain, when we experience opposition. How does that work out in our lives? So he builds these high places to all these foreign gods. I'm going to show you all of them. So we have this god El. This is like the most high god. Uh, this one's on the team. Asherah, the goddess of the sea. Um, Baal, god of fertility. Shemesh, god of the sun. Anat, she's a goddess of war. Molech, the god of fire. And Dagon, god of the harvest. And Shemaim, the God of the heavens. So there's all of the, we've got a God for everything. Make sure that we're on good terms with all of these gods. And there's some stuff that took place on the high places that was not of God. Like this was not like going to church. There was some messed up, evil, dark stuff that would happen in those places. Things having to do with sexual expression, things having to do with child sacrifice. Deuteronomy chapter 12, like God's like, hey, get rid of these places. Like, don't worship these false gods. Like, I'm going to be your God, you're going to be my people. Like, worship me. Like, I'm the name above every name. I, I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. So don't go looking for other mighty hands and other outstretched arms. Solomon walked according to the statutes of its father, except. So, except happens to be a big deal. Like, hey, uh, did you pay the bills for this month? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except the rent. Like, except is a big deal. Uh, homework. Anybody been in this place? Hey, did you get all your homework done? Oh, nobody's been in that place. Okay, well, just imagine with me, you've been in that place bunch of liars up in here. That's the next week's sermon. Just kidding. Like, hey, did you get your homework done? Yeah. Except for math. Well, it turns, oh, then you don't have your homework done then, do you? Right? Um, how about like, hey, how was your day? Oh, it was great. I had a really good day. It was awesome. Except you'll notice like a small dent in the car. But other than that, it was like really, really great. Or this one. You know, like, hey, did you, did you clean your room? Is your room all cleaned up? Mm-hmm. Are you sure? Yeah. Except I didn't make my bed. Like, get back in there, right? This is just my house where this happens, I guess. It's super weird. Um, or, like, you know, you have a conversation with your doctor, and your doctor says to you, hey, um, have you been taking your heart medication? Yeah. Except on Fridays. 
sort of take Friday off, you know? It's like weekend, you kind of do whatever. Like accept is a big deal. It matters. It, it has a way of shaping things. And I just believe that, that the witness of the church is diminished when we embrace a gospel of accept, when we customize the way of God. The way of Jesus is poorly reflected in the lives of his people when we embrace the gospel of accept. So, Jesus, I will follow you, except I need to hold on to my money. Jesus, I will follow you, except I'm not loving them. I'm not loving them because of how they look, the the choices that they make in their life. I'm not loving them because of the political candidate that they support and they post about it all the time, and I just, I can't. I'm not going to love them. Jesus, I will follow you except when my life doesn't turn out like I've prayed. Then I'm out. Jesus, I will follow you, accept it. It all has to be explained to me first. Like once you explain it to me and lay it all out, all of the pieces out in front of me, yes, I will follow you. And I think when that happens to us, what we find out is that we're filling our heart with high places. Because I think it's so easy to read this passage in 1 Kings and be like, we don't have any high places. Like, we've not allowed our heart to turn away from the way of God into, like, other things. I'm not actually, like, physically building an altar for a false god. But when we embrace this gospel of accept, like, when we're only willing to go so far, we become professional builders of high places in our heart. And it's not because the people around you have caused your heart to turn. It's because you've chosen. Because at what point... Do the gods of the wives of Solomon become Solomon's gods? They become his gods when he trusts them, and he trusts them by giving them a place in his life. Accept matters. We find out in verse 4, if we would keep reading, we'd find out that Solomon builds like something like a thousand, offers a thousand sacrifices on all these high places. So we're not talking about uh, a season of his life where, like, he was a little bit lost. He continues to offer sacrifices, a thousand of them, on these high places, to all these gods, to El and Ashura and Baal and Shemesh and Anat and Molech and Dagon and Shemayim, all of these false gods, these gods who had nothing to do with being called out of Egypt into the promised land. These gods who had nothing to do with faithfulness and love and truth and beauty and belonging and forgiveness and mercy and compassion and the goodness of God. They had nothing to do with any of that. They're false. And yet Solomon's heart is turned toward them. And that's going to lead to Solomon experiencing the kingdom that he is ruling being ripped into. And it's going to be ripped into for a long time. 
And so Israel is going to experience having a northern kingdom and having a southern kingdom. And this is not like having North Dakota and South Dakota. It's like sort of the same thing, and we don't hate each other. That would be the idea. But this divided kingdom in Israel, it weakened the kingdom. So what was once this this kingdom of strength and stability and status gets ripped in two. And it takes the incarnation of the rightful king of the universe to bring it back together. Except matters. It has a way of shaping things. And so Jesus will say, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Except if you don't have time. Then don't worry about it. Jesus will say, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Except if you get tired. Then, I mean, do your best. Jesus will say, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow for you from you. Except if you gave to them already last month. Then let them figure it out by themselves. Jesus will say, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Except for people who will love you back. Jesus will say, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Except if you need a new power drill then make sure you store up enough treasure for yourself. Jesus will say, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Do to others what you would have them do to you, except for people who have hurt you. They don't deserve it, so don't worry about it. Except matters. Except has a way of changing things and shaping things. And I just wonder how accept has shaped the church. I wonder how accept has shaped our witness. I wonder how accept has shaped our message. I wonder how accept has shaped me. So the question really at the end of all of this is will we receive the Jesus way as it comes? Or do we want to customize it? Because let me tell you, there's a lot of things in here that you can customize. And it's probably honestly not a big deal. If you're going to be a server in a restaurant, you just got to be ready for people to act like they own the place. And so keep your onions in the back. It's full of things you can customize. It just turns out that like this is a different kind of book. And people do customize. 
people do embrace a gospel of accept. Except it turns out that embracing a, a gospel of accept like, is going to lead to loss and death and damaging the, the beauty that is this way. Because walking in God's way is not easy, it's not simple. But man, it is a beautiful way to live. Where it's not all about what you can build. But it's about all of the people that you have an opportunity to impact with your life. All of the people that you can love. There's a moment in 2 Samuel that I want to show you as we end today. And this is King David. And he's talking to somebody who wants to offer him like an easy way to worship. It involves a threshing floor. We don't have time to go into all of that. Another day. And he just says, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Like, I'm not going to give to God that which didn't cost me. And so I just wonder, like, how do you know when you've offered something to God? How do you know? When you've given an offering. Like, how do you know when you've given something to him? You know when it has cost you. Not when it has made things easier. Not when it has made things more logical and more simple. No, you know that you've given an offering when it's cost you something. And how do you know when you've embraced a gospel of accept? Like you know that I've embraced a gospel of accept and we've embraced a gospel of accept when the offerings that we give to God, what we lift up, what we put on that altar, it just doesn't cost us anything. It's free. And I just believe there's, a, there's such a deep, meaningful joy that comes when you give gifts that cost you something. Not like clearance rack, Target $1, you know, that whole bin like everything's a dollar oh my gosh that's a dangerous place for me to be right no I'm talking about gifts that cost you something and so I can remember this is like you know 2005 and I'm, I'm working on this strawberry farm in northwest Iowa God's country I know you don't have to tell me I'm saying that it is already so you don't have to email me later and say it's God's country because I know it is and I was made a lot of money that summer I also learned I'm going to seminary because I'm not going to cut it for me. <laughs> Just being real. <laughs> not going to cut it. Kept me in college, so that's good. Went on to seminary. But I had a lot of money in that bank account. And I just kept it there. And sometime later, I met this girl at college. And I ended up emptying all of that money in that account so that I could walk into this jewelry store, Faini Designs, downtown, before they had their big monstrosity palace of a store off of 57th Street. 
and I you know, hit the buzzer and this like big Italian guy with lots of chest hair coming out of his shirt was welcome to Faini and I was terrified. And I gave all that I had to get that ring. And I think that when following God costs us something, when the way of Jesus costs us something, I think every time that happens, God is honored. And God is pleased. Because man, the great gifts are the ones that cost us. Matthew 19. I'm going to invite the band up. Jesus says to his disciples, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. So if you've given up your house, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, fields, for my sake, you're going to receive a hundred times as much. <laughs> and then there's a bonus on the back end and eternal life. And that moment when I walked into that jewelry store and I bought that ring, Man, it cost me the entire summer. And I want to tell you something. I work hard for that. On my hands and knees, planting strawberries. There's no other way to plant strawberries. I haven't figured that out yet. But you walk on your hands and knees, field after field, and you take that little thing and you push it into the ground and then you pat it three times all the way around and then you go to the next one. And day after day, hour after hour, Soaked shirt after soaked shirt. Took all of that so that I could buy this ring. And it cost me a lot. But let me tell you something. Like, I wouldn't have it any other way. At the end of it, I wouldn't go, yeah, golly, I don't know. I may would have done that differently. And can I tell you what I want for myself and what I want for this church and what I want for the global church of Jesus is that at the end of it, we can say that, man, it cost me. But I wouldn't have it any other way. And more than that, I'm not going to allow what it will cost me to disciple me. I'm going to allow the good shepherd, the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, who, who gave his life. I'm going to allow him to disciple me. And if what he gave for me cost him everything, every time that I offer something to him and it costs me, every time that happens, I'm standing at the foot of the cross with Mary and Mary's sister and Mary Magdalene with their eyes up looking at the cross, seeing the price that was paid seeing what was offered to them. And I just have to think, if we can get that in our minds, in our hearts, and deep in our soul, I think we'll get to a place where we're, we're willing to have the way of Jesus cost us. But if it's a way of convenience and simplicity and logic, if it sometimes kind of fits into how we would like to have things, if we embrace a gospel of accept. 
We're going to avoid things that cost us. And at the end of it all, that's what I want to be said about invitation. Man, the decisions we made, the stuff that we did, the money that we gave, the time that we gave, the investment that we made, man, it cost us. Because people didn't always agree. People didn't always feel like what we were doing was the right thing. And that was worth it. And they thought we went down the wrong path. But man, at the end of it all, wouldn't have it another way. Because the words that Jesus spoke to those disciples, man, whatever you give, house, mother, father, children, fields, man, I'm going to pay it back. And I'm going to pay it back with my love. I'm going to pay it back with my grace. I'm going to pay it back with my compassion and I'm paying it back with the place that I have provided for you and that place is next to me in the kingdom I just want that for us we pray Lord God I thank you today for your grace your compassion and your mercy and for your example of emptying yourself so that as you are emptied, life would fill the universe. So God, as we think about the gospel of accept, as we think about the, the things that we are so prone to substitute in our own life, God, will you give us sight? Would you help us to see the way in which we have done that? Would we take responsibility for that God, would our hearts be open to a new way of life? Not saying, oh, this person or that thing or that circumstance, it kind of turned my heart this way. No, we'd be able to say, like, those things became my gods. And so, God, I ask for your forgiveness for the things in my own life that I've sought to customize. So your correction, your discipline in my life is life to me. Because it sets my feet in a land that can never be taken away. Because it's a land that was paid for by the one who owns it all. So God, thank you coming to this earth for living and for dying and for being raised to life and God may it be our joy to offer things to you that cost us may it be our joy to sacrifice unto you and may it be our experience that we receive something more beautiful, something more lasting, something more precious than we could ever find for ourselves if we live a life of offering things that cost us nothing. We love you today. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.